Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine. Uh, my normal co-host, Ward Carroll, is not with me today, so this is a solo uh, episode of, uh, of the podcast. And with me in studio today is uh, retired Master Chief Ken Falk, U.S. Navy, uh, who is the CEO of Boulder Crest Retreat and the and a board member of the EOD Warrior Foundation and co-author of a book called Struggle Well. And uh, Ken wrote a proceedings article uh, back in August that we published online. Uh, the title was Struggle Well, uh, about um, managing or better managing the suicide epidemic, not only in the nation, but but especially within the Department of Defense. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So uh, in, your, in your article, you started off by saying, our nation's in the midst of a mental health epidemic that shows no signs of abating. Uh, and specifically evidenced by the suicide rate up 33% since 1999. Talk a little bit about that. Well, today about 125 Americans a day take their own lives. About 20 plus of those are veterans uh, and active duty military that fall into those categories. Between the National Guard, active duty, and veterans, I think it's about 21 suicides a day. And the truth is we don't even know these numbers are correct because some of the bigger states like Florida, Texas, and California don't always report suicides as a cause of death. Many coroners don't. Many families, because of things like shame and guilt, don't ever report that on the death certificate. So the truth is we really don't know the numbers. What we do know is that it's on the rise, and it's the only cause of death in the United States right now that is on the rise. Things like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, uh, these things have pretty much leveled out. We've got them under control, but, but this mental health crisis is literally an epidemic. Well, that's I mean, I had no idea that it was 125 Americans a day taking their own lives. Uh, and, and you said in your article, historically, the, the military was immune from these types of societal trends, but it's not now. And do we know why? Well, in the world of suicide prevention, there's this discussion about things like protective factors. And I think what the military has always given us is this almost like a safe haven, a place where we've got the brotherhood of, of the of the sailor next to us. We've got uh, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, whatever it may be that you've got these connections. You've got safe place. You've got paychecks. Uh, you've got some great training and this, this purpose in life that's uh, meaningful. All the things that you, know, you would kind of categorize as, as protective factors. And what happens when you get out of the military is you don't always have these. And, um, in the veteran community, you see a lot of loneliness. I, I work in it every day, and, and you see a lot of loneliness in the veteran community, missing the military service. Um, I tell people, even if you had bad military service experience, it'll be the greatest thing at some time in your life. It'll be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And uh, and what I don't understand fully, quite frankly, I think it's a leadership issue. I don't think it's truly just mental health crisis. I think that it's been it's been strange. I've been out of the Navy almost as long as I was in. I've, I've been out 17 years, and I served nearly 22. And, I mean, I think since I've been out, I've seen more commanding officers and command master chiefs fired, secretary of the Navy last night. I mean, more people like this fired than I think I have in my entire career, in my active duty career. So, you know, there were suicides when I was on active duty in the EOD community. I saw one on the John F. Kennedy. I saw one on the USS Hunley. I saw one. But it was very small numbers. And I don't think, truthfully, that we'll ever abate suicide, get rid of it completely. But I, I think we can do a whole lot better. 
Yeah, so recently, and our, our news team covered this, and I'm forgetting the name of the ship. I can't remember if it was Truman, but uh, in, in the Norfolk area, one of the carriers, the East Coast carrier, had a, had a rash of suicides. Uh, five five, ship, five shipmates yeah. in one week. And, uh, you know, oftentimes, and I, I've heard this and, and during my uh, career, that oftentimes uh, one suicide will be followed. It, it sort of becomes a, uh, you know, a, a sort of a mini epidemic, right? As uh, somebody sets an example and other people who are feeling depressed and hopeless see one of their shipmates take that route out of the pain and and decide to do the same thing. And so I know there was a, a serious concern about, uh, you know, that the... Uh, the example that that set, right, of, of five on one ship in, in just one week was uh, was really a tragedy. Um, so you mentioned leadership, and your article talks about uh, a lot about how uh, there needs to be a renewed or a bigger emphasis on leadership to deal with this problem. And, and you know, in proceedings, uh, a lot of articles, we, we, we touch on leadership. We have a monthly column called the Leadership Forum. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, Better leadership is going to help solve this, right? So, so, but you have some real specific examples in your paper. So, talk about what you mean by how leadership can help curb this epidemic within the military. Yeah, well, I, you know, as I was getting out of the Navy, um, we took leadership. Uh, I'll talk specifically in the enlisted ranks. We took leadership away from the the training centers, the Norfolk's, the San Diego's of the world, and put that burden, if you will, onto the commands. Uh, and as you know, every command has their hands full already with with training. And now to have to run through these leadership programs, it, it just it's very difficult. It just adds one more element. My guess is, and after talking to lots of people, is that my guess is that we've probably done some damage to the system. I was up in Newport recently with the leadership team uh, that runs the leadership continuum for the Navy, and it sounds like they're getting back on course. But it truthfully has been a, a, probably at least 15 years with some pretty bad lack of training, if you will. But the other thing is, is I studied, uh, I ran a business when I retired from the Navy, and uh, I didn't know a lot about business. So I enrolled in a executive education program at Harvard Business School and started to study, academically study leadership. And then I went to Georgetown. I did a master's degree there in public policy and leadership and um took more academic leadership classes. And, and I always revert back to something I learned at Harvard. And, and that was this whole concept that great leaders really have three traits. They have a high level of intelligence, which, as you know, most leaders, most great leaders do in some form or fashion. They normally have a high level of technical expertise. And I think we do this a great job in the military. We don't send surface warfare officers to command aviation squadrons and uh, it's just the way it goes. We try to keep technically in, in our in our lanes until you get maybe to certain ranks. Um, but the third level uh, that Harvard really harps upon in, in this, this leadership continuum is understanding emotional intelligence. And when you look around the Navy, when you look around all the services, there's not a lot of emotional intelligence going on. I've done a lot of research in the last two years, uh, including the, my recent trip to Newport, uh, I found one training course that the Army's got, Special Forces training course for civil affairs officers, which they train uh, emotional intelligence, which makes a lot of sense because civil affairs guys have to build these relationships. Sure, yeah. But we don't do a great job of it. And um, and a lot of people think it's one of these soft things that we don't necessarily need. You know, gruff and hard is the way of the military, but it's not true. And, uh, and emotional intelligence, empathy is only one of, you know, five elements, self-awareness, motivation, 
These are the kind of things that really, you know, they say the most successful people in the world are very self-aware. But when you look at leaders who get relief for cause and all these types of things, that self-awareness is out the window. Yeah. So, you know, I think really increasing the emotional intelligence training in leadership, in the leadership continuum, I think would start to solve a lot of problems. Got it. You, your article, when you, um, you, you give some specific things that, uh, uh, that people can do, uh, that, that that not just DOD can do, but also individuals and people at commands can do. Um, you, you mentioned that uh, this is in line with the emotional intelligence. First, lead yourself, right? So self-leadership comes first. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, I think, you know, I tell everybody, um, nobody looks in the mirror every morning and, and thinks, you know, wow, what a jerk. You know, everybody, everybody thinks they're doing a great job for the most part, and we get up and put our uniforms on and go to work. The truth is, we often take, especially, it seems to be especially relevant in today's social media kind of generation that we tend to compare ourselves to others rather than look at ourselves hardly and hard. And that's really what this self-awareness is about. So the concept of having all your stuff in your sea bag rather before you go trying to fix everybody else's. And I think that that's really what, what leading yourself first is all about making sure you have everything, you know, squared away before you start to provide advice, um, uh, experience, share share experience, whatever it's going to be, uh, before you start to, to, to put that onto somebody else. So we, we look at we look at this leadership in concentric circles. It's kind of take care of yourself, make sure you're strong and healthy, your family and friends, then your then your command, then your leadership, you know, leadership team, and then wh- whatever it may go to from there. But I th- we we believe strongly that leading yourself first is a, is a place to start. So. You mentioned in your article that uh, at the heart of almost any suicide uh, are, are three factors uh, that that people don't understand that all lives are filled with ups ups and downs, right? And so, you know, this sort of gets to a resilience piece. Uh, this, if if you are struggling through something and you don't understand that struggling uh, and being depressed and missing home or you know whatever might be getting a sailor down or or a service member down. Uh, that, that you don't, you may be, especially if you're young, you may not understand that this is natural and everybody goes through it and you're going to come through it. You know, a week from now, a month from now, six months from now, uh, you're not going to be feeling what you're feeling this week. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I deployed on the John F. Kennedy, um, under a, um, a captain who made admiral by the name of Denny Wisely, and I'll never forget the guy. And I've actually haven't reconnected with him directly yet, but I've reconnected with a very close friend of his recently. And I remember this this guy being on a carrier, and I had been on the America shortly before that um, as an EOD guy. And I remember being on this carrier, and every time I went to Chow, this captain was on the mess deck eating with the troops. And I, I used to say, you know, we had these things, the sailor, sailor, or big Al, the sailor's pal. We, you could always tell these leaders that were just connected to their team. And at Christmas and Thanksgiving, he'd be behind the counter serving. And, and it was more than just the, the kind of, you know, I guess the ruffles and flourishes of serving the, the meal. He, he was connected with the people on, on that ship. And, uh, and it was an amazing deployment. I mean, on an aircraft carrier that was fairly busy. We shot down two Libyan MiGs that year. Uh, on that cruise, uh, we lost one sailor in, in that tire deployment, which is a pretty big deal. And it was a cook. On the way back, um, he put his hands behind a blender and was electrocuted and killed. Oh. 
But it was not, you know, and, and that's very unusual for a carrier to go to sea for seven months, you know. And yeah, absolutely. Fly that many missions, shoot down foreign airplanes during a Cold War and, and lose one sailor. I mean, it was a testament, I think, to his leadership and the way that flowed through the command. So, um, you know, I, I just think guys like that are, you know, hard to find. Gotcha. So the the, the second factor here is that the uh, the downs, if you will, uh, that times of struggle and difficulty, you say, uh, can serve as catalysts for growth and for uh, transformation. And then the third thing is that uh, regulating one's emotions is very important so people don't get overwhelmed by stress, right? So these are the things that uh, in that emotional intelligence that people can learn. These are, these are learned skills like, okay, struggle and depression and, you know, going through tough times is, uh, common for everybody. Everybody goes through it, right? Uh, two is that, you know, sometimes going through hard things is going to get you out the other side better than you were. You will have learned things. You'll become wiser. You'll become stronger. And then, uh, that third thing is that, uh, just not, not to let yourself get, get overwhelmed by that. So, uh, you mentioned that, you know, you're the CEO of Boulder Crest, that retreat. W what does that organization do and how do you use that knowledge, uh, to, to treat patients or to treat people who come to you? Yeah. So the re Boulder Crest retreat, we have two locations, one here in Bluemont, Virginia, not far from Annapolis and one in uh, Southern Arizona. And we have programs that are for men and women who are suffering with PTSD, depression, anxiety, uh, the aftermath of war, combat stress, focused on the science and, and, and based on the science of something called post-traumatic growth. And the concept of post-traumatic growth is pretty simple. I, I try to tell everybody, and the military knows this very well, if you think of um, a sailor, we, we recruit off the street, an enlisted sailor, that we have no clue on his background, poverty, where his parent, what his parents did, what he's done, other than maybe the legal aspects of his record. And we bring him in in a relatively short period of time, Bill. We make him a great sailor. I mean, there's not a, there's not a person that graduates basic training that doesn't stand up that day with their shoulders back and is very proud. And when you think of the amount of trauma, the amount of stress, the amount of anxiety we put on people during that period of time, it's pretty impressive. And and they come out as a, as a, as a great human being. Now, on the other side, then you end up maybe on a ship where you don't get that much attention or that much leadership. You don't have people sharing their experiences. Experiences. We've outsourced mental health. As soon as somebody says they're not doing well, we send them to medical rather than helping them as a leader. And you can't do that. You've got to be able to connect with the people that work for you. Because once you, once you send them somebody else to somebody else, and mental issues like anxiety and depression aren't like the flu. That a doctor's not going to fix them. The individual has to fix themselves. They may get some good advice from a, from a talk therapist, but they're not going to fix them. And that means that's a leadership opportunity to really try to, try to get connected with those people better than they are. And that's really what we try to talk about um, in our programs and focus on post-traumatic growth. You look at through history, things like the Holocaust, survivors of the Holocaust, prisoners of war from Vietnam. I mean, I know Navy pilots that spent six, seven, eight years in prison camps in Vietnam, and these men have gone on to do remarkable things. And personally, as a combat veteran myself, I can't think of anything worse on the battlefield than getting captured and tortured for six or eight years. So there's ways to, to take care of yourself and, and, and to be able to self-regulate is very important because we're all going to suffer these ups and downs. And the self-regulation practices might be things like breathing, exercising. I used to say when I was on active duty, if I was stressed out, I'd go for a run. Because our brains release 
chemicals, great chemicals that, that allow us to calm down and, and, and to feel better about ourselves. But if you're not doing something like that, I always tell, tell the story that people who can't self-regulate, self-medicate, and that's a big problem in itself. Um, and I'm not against drinking, but it, it is not, it's just something that you just can't do to solve your problems because once that starts, then it, it becomes very difficult to get out of. And the world of drug and alcohol rehab is 97% recidivism rate, which means that, you know, three out of 100 people that go to, to, to treatment are going to come back sober. So it's, it's a big problem. 97%. I, 97%. I did not know it was that high. Wow. That's, uh, that's an impressive, uh, depressing number, actually. Not an impressive number. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that um, members of the all-volunteer force now come into the military with levels of childhood trauma that are three to five times higher than that of their civilian counterparts. What's that based on? And so it's based on something called ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And we've done a lot of research. And by the way, I don't think it's just this generation. I think it's happened through history um, that we bring bring folks in and we and we we don't understand their backgrounds. And this is a, this is a point that I'm making when it comes to leadership is that I'll, I'll just give you one example. We had a guy come through our per, one of our programs at Bouldercrest. We have a, an area where we talk about childhood trauma. And this young man, who was a, a tough, tough dude, who's a senior chief petty officer, 27 years in the Navy, as tough as a man could be. Um, I won't tell you where he was from or what unit, but for three years of his life during this exercise we do in our program, for three years of his life, ages 14, 15, and 16, every day after school was tied up and sexually molested by his uncle. Oh, my God. Now, when he was finally able to get away from that lifestyle, he came to the Navy and the Navy made him one hell of a man. But then when he got out of the Navy and he'd been to combat and he'd seen a lot of things, a lot of, had a lot of trauma, he didn't necessarily have all the resources that the Navy gave him while he was on active duty to take care of that. And that's when his life started falling apart. We ran a program last week. We had a guy there who had 12 stepfathers and a mother who was a prostitute. So, you know, when we're recruiting in the inner city and places like this, we, we find some great people who, who deserve a great opportunity, and we make them into great sailors and Marines and airmen. And, and I even had a conversation once with, um, with General Mattis, and, and he asked me when I was having this conversation, uh, he, he asked me, he said, Do you, are you telling me we shouldn't recruit these men? I said, no, sir, because they make great, great soldiers and sailors and Marines. We should recruit them. What we, what we have to do, though, is make sure the leaders – that are leading these men and women understand those problems. Because if you have empathy and an understanding of those problems, then when things happen, maybe you'll deal with them a little bit lighter. Maybe you won't be so quick to send them to a mental health professional. You'll be able to sit down and talk to them. Maybe you won't be so quick to drop them out of academically out of a school or, or maybe um, kick them out of the Navy for, you know, something that, you know, that they did that maybe wasn't all that bad. So I think this empathy is important, and, and I think you know teaching, teaching empathy is a very difficult thing. Teaching emotional intelligence um, is not that difficult. So I think empathy being one of five components of it, why don't we just ch- start by that? And as, as you get smarter and your emotional intelligence increases, so will your empathy. Gotcha. We uh, so I want to ask a couple of questions related to some other uh, articles over the past couple of years and proceedings. Some of the uh, significant themes that have been in our pages uh, have been sleep and sleep deprivation, right? Uh, stress, uh, and another one is uh, the the 
the use of technology, in other words, phones, uh, online pornography, which comes on, you know, you can access on your phone, uh, video games, many of which are violent, uh, which you can access on your phone or your mobile device. Uh, and that, you know, sailors are more and more sort of, uh, or, or service members have a tendency, youngers, uh, because of this technology to isolate themselves, um, you know, go to their rack and play video games, um, that screen time, particularly if you don't have the, you know, your screen set so that it darkens itself after, you know, taps, uh, has a tendency to interrupt your sleep cycle. Uh, you know, the, the online pornography has a tendency to be, um, you know, something that, that helps you, um, you know, sort of separate yourself from other people, right? Instead of seek relationships, it, it, it breaks relationships. Um, and then just overall, the sleep deprivation, the, the watch cycles tend, can tend to be, you know, very, um, stress inducing, uh, and sleep tends to be one of those things that helps the human body de-stress, Right. Uh, so in your work at Boulder Crest and, and, you know, some of the other research you've done, uh, you know, where do those things, those factors play into the overall suicide rate and the depression rate and the problems that we're talking about? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I, th- I think and we write about this in the book, uh, Struggle Well. My, my dad used to say to me, he said, he said, there's, there's two things. I remember my dad was a man of the, you know, 50s, but he would say there's two things a man's got to get right in his life his mattress, and his job. And and my dad's philosophy was, and my dad was a fitness guy. He got out of the Army, became a cop here in Washington, D.C. You know, he was a pull-up champion, push-up champion of the police department, a real fitness guy. And, uh, and my dad used to say that if you're going to have any element of fitness in your life, you've got to be able to sleep for at least eight hours a night. Now, he wasn't a scientist. He dropped out of school in eighth grade when his father died from working in coal mines and uh, to take care of his mom and make some money. Um, but he knew how important sleep was to the human body and to your success. He also believed that having a great job was important because the truth is, especially, you know, if you're here in the DC area, most, most jobs are eight hours a day. Then you got a couple hours of commuting. So that's 10 hours. You're sleeping eight. That's 18 hours. You can just do the math. You're down to six hours. Where with of the of, of the time I always tell us it's the shortest amount of time in our day that we spend with the people we love the most, but it's also the time that we screw up the most. <laughs> now I don't think watches have changed much since I was in the Navy. Right. I think this. I think the iPad thing and the gaming is a very big problem. I was just out in Hawaii. We uh, one of the submarine squadrons in Hawaii had two suicides back to back, and we went out and did a a talk to the entire squadron. And I went on one of the boats, and um, my co-author Josh Goldberg of the book had never been on a submarine, so one of the chief of the boats took us down on his, on his boat. And he was telling Josh about how these guys sleep. And he said the big problem they have now is that they – and like in the old days when everybody was in the in the mess or in the, in the mess decks playing cards, they don't do that now. They go sit in their bunks and isolate with these iPads or whatever their, their, their uh, form of media might be. But I'm not sure what we can do about it, but, but I think we've got to do something about it. Uh, pornography, uh, electronic pornography versus the Playboy magazines that were on ships when I was there. You know, the Navy's not as tolerant. When I joined the Navy, the, you know, there were strippers at every club on, on base. And that's just not the case anymore. And we're changing. We're becoming a better Navy. And I think you have to get rid of this stuff. 
off the ship, but do you get rid of it completely? You know, I, I just don't know the answers to all of that. Uh, and I'm not sure that pornography leads to suicide. I'm not sure that violent, based on the research I've read, that violent video games necessarily play a big role in suicide. What I know plays a big role is when you're disconnected from humans. Because the truth is that humans thrive on great relationships. And when you don't have those great relationships in your life, uh, it leads, it starts to lead to hopelessness. So, so if instead of sitting around the mess or the, the ready room or the wardroom and uh, playing cards or, you know, telling sea stories or just that community aspect uh, of service, right, is, is critically important. If you're just going back to your stateroom or back to your rack and, and isolating yourself, that that, uh, that portends poorly. It does. Yeah. And, and I think isolation is important. I mean, we all need some time on our own. And what we do with that, you know, if, if it's productive, we're reading something, you know, we're trying to become smarter. And, and I'm not just talking about reading your rating manuals, but reading books just to try to increase our wisdom all along in life. I think those are those are times where we need a little bit of solitude, but too much solitude with the wrong type of media, I think, is a big, a big problem. Yeah, got it. Talk for a minute about this idea of normalizing struggle. Well, I think, you know, you, you, you kind of hit on it a little bit, is it's the whole concept that we all go through it. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, we, we went down, um, Josh Goldberg and I again went down to talk to the Marines uh, down at the 2nd Marine Division of Camp Lejeune, and the, the commanding general stood up on the stage and, and shared his struggles. And they were no different than any struggle that I've had or you may have had or Josh had had. And, and when you start to, to normalize that and everybody understands, it becomes a lot easier. Because in the, in the world of mental health, one of the reasons people end up taking their lives is, is, is the, the mental health community refers to it as a stigma, this inability to go to them for care. Now, that, that happens for a lot of reasons. One is there's a lack of trust a lot of times. You know, if you think about it, I, I said one time if I was in charge for the day, I wouldn't let a chaplain or, or a doctor wear, a, wear an officer's insignia, right, which is a little out of the box for the way the military is. But it's, it, can be, um, it can be challenging, right? Anxiety occurs when an E3 has to go talk to a commander who's the mental health professional on that ship. Or the chaplain. Or the chaplain. Yeah. And sometimes rank is, can be a big turnoff. And, uh, and, and you've got to be really aware of that. And, and I think it's, it's just important that, that we really understand that, that everybody is struggling and people can get to there and that you share. Because there's a great um, author, a great scientist out of um, uh, off the West Coast, out of Stanford, uh, Brene Brown is her name. And she does some really interesting work on shame and guilt and moral injuries in the military. You know, maybe somebody's deployed and, um, you know, blew up a house that had a family or children in it or shot a child or shot a child's dad in front of them. These types of things that we carry on. But one, one of the problems is that we, we tend to always label people. You know, we become, they become PTSD John or military sexual trauma Jane or whatever it is. And I think once you get a label, it becomes another burden that you're carrying. So I think what people need to understand is that everybody's been through something. It may not be measurable in some respects or another. I try not to compare trauma. Six years in a prison camp versus five, there's probably not a lot of 14 deployments versus nine. You know, there's probably not no reason to compare that kind of stuff. Sure. But for people to understand that everybody's gone through something. Our parents have died. Our grandparents have died. We've, we've seen death and destruction. You know, we've all seen this stuff. And then what we want to do is create friendships where we can understand and learn from each other that you can, in fact, get through this stuff. And, and I think normalizing stress and normalizing trauma is very important. 
So as you mentioned, you've been up to the Senior Enlisted Academy up at Newport. You've been down to Second Marine Division. You've been out to a submarine squadron. So clearly, there are elements in the military that are reaching out to you or to Boulder Crest and uh, and asking for your help and advice when there is a, a rash of suicides or or even when they just are trying to get ahead of this problem. Uh, do you? Do you have a sense that there's some traction in how the military is is starting to think about dealing with this, uh, you know, wave of suicides with this uh, this epidemic, if you will? Listen, I think there's a lot of great work going on. I mean, we started. I started this stuff we're doing with the active duty force in January. Of uh, a good friend of mine command of just this year, 2019. This year, okay, 2019. A good friend of mine commands the Naval Expeditionary Combat Command, uh, Rear Admiral Brian Brackey. And he had had us down in November of last year to do like a pre-holiday talk on our struggle well philosophy. And, um, and then in, in December, uh, from the 15th of December to the 2nd of January, the Seabees uh, had five active duty suicides back to back. Oh, wow. Five suicides in two weeks. And it didn't get a lot of publicity. And the Seabees fall under the Navy Expeditionary Combat Command. So Brian asked us to go down and talk to, um, talk to the Seabees. And we did. And it was, it was really, we were very much welcomed, and and they were really in, intrigued by the you know philosophy and what they could do as a command to 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 help increase these relationships and this emotional intelligence inside their leadership continuum, and and my hats off to the commodore down there did a, did a great job, and 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 then that commodore was friends with this commodore that was running the submarine squadron, and that's kind of how it all happened. The submarine squadron had two suicides back to back. And, and he had reached out as friends just saying, you know, what do I do? And I know you've been through this. And he said, why don't you give Ken and, and Josh a call and have them come out? So I feel like we're on to something. Um, I have had, I've had meetings with the senior people in the Air Force. I've met with the Surgeon General of the Army. I've met with the leadership continuum in the Navy. Um, I, th- I think until we fully understand that this is a leadership issue and not a mental health issue, I don't, th- I don't think we're going to solve the problem. That's that's my my gut feeling, and and it is because I don't think no matter what we do in the the mental health community, what they really want out out of the, out of the budget is more mental health professionals, and if we continue to outsource this mental health care rather than democratize it and say okay everybody is in fact normal, <laughs> we're all struggling from the CEO of the ship to the you know, E1 in the engine room, everybody's got similar struggles, especially over the holidays and the separation away from family until we really get our hands around that. And, and the great commands do it. And, I, and I, I would love to do some research and figure out, you know, these great commands that aren't having suicide uh, problems and, and, and see what those leaders are doing different mm-hmm. than the others. There's some real opportunities here for research. And, uh, and I'm intrigued by all of it, but I think until we quit outsourcing this, to the docs, to the, to the mental health community. I don't think we're going to get our hands around it, because it's 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 in my opinion, it's a, it's a leadership you know uh, wash. You know, when you just say I'm washing my hands of this sailor, I tell everybody. I was telling a, a friend over the weekend that, that is in this business, but he's never been in the military. The military loves us when we're big, strong, fit, and deployable. But the minute you lose that D word, uh, we we turn our backs on each other right it's like oh that's a dirt bag he's not you know he can't he's pulled his cruise muscle something's wrong with him you know know, (laughs) i haven't heard that one a long time (laughs) pulled his cruise muscle something's going on that yeah that that, right you know it's it's like we wash our hands we don't want that sailor because he's taken up a billet 
I need 150 men to go to sea. I don't need two or three, you know, malingerers. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's just not the way you lead people. So I get it. Trust me, I get it. But, it, but, but until, we, until we look at this as a leadership issue and not a mental health crisis, we're not going to fix it. Gotcha. Now, at Boulder Crest, are most of your clients uh, former military people? Most of them are. We do get occasional active duty troops. Uh, we are our, our our flagship program that we run is called Warrior Path. We do allow first responders into that program as well. Uh, and, and we had had a lot of first responders, but most of them were combat veterans as well. Uh, but after the Vegas shootings, we opened up to, to mm. cops and firefighters. So, um, but most of them are veterans. But we do occasionally. I, I think. Someone told me the other day that about an average of one in every 20 that come through are active duty. And normally they come from, you know, special ops commands where, where they can kind of put them into a place where they're not taking leave or, you know, they're not going to see a doctor. There's a lot of concern in the military still about losing security clearances and sure. all those types of things. Um, and how so, long are your – is it inpatient? It's a, it's a, we don't call it inpatient. We call it a training program. It's not a therapy program. So Got it's it. an 18 month training program that starts with a seven day on site intense effort. It's almost like kind of like a boot camp experience. Go from 6:30 in the morning until 8:30 at night every day for seven days, and then for 18 months we have like a learning management system where we teach them because we believe the opposite of suicide really is teaching people how to live great lives. It's not these prevention programs. It's not the PowerPoint. And I say it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I say I never thought in my life about taking my own life. I mean, everybody's kind of thought about suicide. It, you know, it enters your mind. But the only time it used to really bother me was when I had to sit through that PowerPoint presentation once a year at a command. But the truth is, all those – I mean, I had a friend who took his life on a Wednesday night. I was with that guy on Saturday. And on Saturday, I have a picture of him with a, a SEAL friend of mine, a, SEAL, a retired SEAL Master Chief and him, standing arm in arm. And my friend's got a smile from ear to ear. And then wow. those two guys were friends, too. They hadn't connected in like 15 years. Yep. Thursday morning, I wake up. First phone call I get is Jim's shot himself last night, and he's dead. And I'm in the business. I see it every day. So all the factors, all these things that we teach people to look out for, they're not always true. And that's, that's, that's my message. Is or, that, or not always apparent. Or not always apparent. And that's why it's so important. And some people will call them high-functioning mental health issues. But that's why it's so important to know your sailors and to understand what are they going through because then, then you can really see it. It's not just going to be somebody who's walking around depressed or somebody who just wants to be a loner. I mean, we had loners on my ships all throughout my career that sure. never took their own lives. Yeah. But the truth is that we have to teach people how to live great lives. And that's why I think the Navy and all the services provide these protective factors. And that's what's, that's what's disturbing me the most is why is this happening on active duty? So to restate that, that phrase, because it's in your paper or your article, uh, and it's just a great phrase. So the opposite of suicide is not suicide prevention. It's teaching people to lead great lives. That's right. How to live a great life. How to live a great life. Okay. Yep. Uh, well, I think we'll wrap it up there because that's just a great way to end. Uh, Ken Falk, the CEO of Boulder Crest uh, and the co-author of Struggle Well, retired Master Chief EOD technician uh, and also a member of the board of directors of the EOD Warrior Foundation. Thanks for driving to Annapolis today to be oh. on the show in person. Always great to have somebody in the studio with us. Uh, the chemistry is always better. Uh, this is a great conversation, great article. Uh, you, we published it. It's on our website. If you go uh, to Proceedings, uh, and you can find it in the August issue of Proceedings online. 
Um, again, the author is Ken Falk, F-A-L-K-E, and uh, we look forward to what you might write for us uh, in the future. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Well, that's uh, this week's episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Uh, this Later this week is Thanksgiving, so to all our listeners, uh, happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving, and we will catch you uh, next week. Uh, until then, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. <music>